Welcome to the new Retina radio series called International Perspectives. I'm Professor Andreas Stahl from the University Medical Center Greifswald in Germany. On this episode of International Perspectives, we will explore practice patterns and treatment strategies for patients with ROP in Europe and in Latin America. On this episode, I'm joined by two guests. Dr. Maria Anak Martinez Castellanos, Professor of Pediatric Retina at the Association to Prevent Blind Blindness in Mexico, and Silke Mada, Chair of the Executive Board and Co-Founder of the European Foundation for the Care of Newborn Infants. Hello. 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 A pleasure to be here. Thank you. May I start with um, Silke Mada? Um, can you give us a quick introduction on your perspective on ROP care in Germany and Europe and how it changed over the last years? Well, first of all, I'm a patient representative, so I'm not the medical doctor, so I can only give an overview on, a, I would say, lay perspective. What, the uh, what really has changed uh, during the last years is that there is more awareness in the patient community about ROP and the importance of follow-up after the baby discharged. And there is also uh, more information provided um, for patients and also for healthcare professionals to ensure that everyone is really informed. The situation in Germany um, for babies born preterm is that they have regular um, checks if the baby develops an ROP and after discharge um, the babies or the parents have uh, the opportunity to have a follow-up appointments. All over Europe it's very different how um, the babies are treated and how in the end the babies get um, get oxygen or how the babies are ventilated and that's one of the big risk factors of course of developing a severe ROP and also the follow-up appointments are very different organized and of course when you have high income countries more western European countries then um, the parents um, get more information the babies um, have the opportunity to get get uh, regular checkups and um, also the treatment, how the babies are treated when they develop an ROP, it's all, it also varies between the countries. And so our role as a patient representative is, first of all, of course, to inform parents about um, the risk of ROP, about the treatment of ROP, and especially as a mom of a 25-weeker who is 24 years old, it's important to have a good follow-up and long-term follow-up for children who had an ROP. It's very interesting to hear that within such a small region from a global perspective within Europe, there's such such a high variability when it comes to ROP care. What is the situation in Latin America from your perspective, Maria? So nowadays we have a better neonatal care and babies are surviving in, 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 this, uh, in lower ages like 27, 26, 25 weeks of gestation. But we still have a, a burden in, in regarding uh, the screening of the eyes. There is no screening in most of the hospitals. And that is, is a problem because we have two, two, two issues with ROP. It's one that the ones that develop ROP per se and the ones that develop oxygen-induced retinopathy because there are some lack of blenders of oxygen, for example, or the, the, the oxygen sometimes is managed by the mom, not by the nurses. And there are some countries where in one cradle they have three babies, for example. And so this is, is, this is um, 
like an, an epidemic of RUP because now they survive, but we still have a lack of very good screening programs in, the, in Latin America. And it's different in, diff in different countries. It's, it's in, in the Central America, it's, it's more market like uh, Nicaragua, Honduras. They are mostly, they, they are not screened by ophthalmologists. It's, it's very, very poor, the screening. And there are uh, countries like Argentina or Chile where they have a very good screening program. So in, in your personal experience, have the numbers of ROP changed, both ROP in general and the stages that require treatment? Are these numbers going up? They're going up. They're going up because of the, the survival of, of babies that are with a lower weeks of gestation before they die. Now they, they survive. So we are, the, the numbers are going up. And we are still not getting to the optimal care in the neonatal care unit. So, so what are the, the mechanisms to respond to this increase in ROP? Is it, um, do you see any improvements in the screening or prevention or rather the treatment of ROP? What we're working now on in, in, in all Latin America, we're trying to work in telemedicine because this is a, an opportunity to, to, to get the ophthalmologist near to the babies even when they are not there. And we're trying to work in, in more cheaper cameras, example, with the, with the telephones and, and just a, a, a lens, or cameras that are more accessible than RedCam that is really expensive and in many NICUs they can't buy one. So uh, we're working in telemedicine and in, in tele-education of, tele of, of ophthalmologists because in many countries they are not even teaching. Even in... For example, in the Pan-American Association of Ophthalmology, they have this program for, for the residents, what, how many cataract surgeries they have to do in a residency, how many the regional surgeries. ROP is not into that program. So that, that is something that should change. We are all, uh, actually asking for that for, for change. And in many programs, the ROP is not a, not a part of the of the, the training program of residents. So that's why tele, tele-education and telemedicine is probably one of the main, main structures that we are have to impulse to be able to, to reach all the NICUs. Uh, because ophthalmologists are not now, in, a few, in, in these generations, they are not getting the, the, the training for ROP. For so, okay, is that a trend that we observe in Europe as well, that there's more uh, an emphasis on telemedicine? I mean, you've, you've probably seen many NICUs across very different countries in Europe. Is there a similar trend? Well, especially in the time of the pandemic, there was um, the situation that there's more telemedicine um, available in the meanwhile. But what you have shared, Maria, it's very similar. What we also see is that not every hospital, and I come from a very rich country in Germany, where we also not in have in every uh, hospital where they are treated very small preterm infants, that we have the red cam and that sometimes we have to coordinate as a patient organization to get fundings or charities to finance in the end such a um, um, 
yeah, a system or such a, a treatment, what we find it's necessary to have when you treat such a tiny baby and you come from a rich country, there should normally um, this kind of treatment available for the babies, especially when, when you treat such very tiny babies. And we see that telemedicine can help in the end on the one hand. And what we also have heard from several uh, hospitals because they have not everywhere an ophthalmologist. And so that uh, neonatologists get special training or get telemedicine support that they can identify the children um, who have an ROP and it identify them as early as possible that the treatment can yeah can start finally but it's also in Germany not like often people what I hear oh you come from Germany you have everything that's not true because we have not a very centralized system that means we also in small smaller hospitals tiny babies are born and then we have the challenges that there is not an ophthalmologist or not a red cam or not someone who can work with a red cam that's also the issue um, that we we struggle then with such kind of problems it's not of course the same like you in Latin America but um, also not optimal to be honest so screening does remain um, a challenge um, and certainly there's room for improvement everywhere not only in latin america certainly also in europe and in, in germany as we just heard but let's move from screening to treatment maria has the advent of the anti-vegf therapy for rop made your life easier or more difficult. We all know there are upsides and downsides. It's easy to deliver the anti-VEGF treatment, but then you have the follow-up phase that can be quite challenging. So if you sum the positive and the negative aspects, would you say this made life easier or more difficult? I think that it's, it's easier because the same way that they are not training ophthalmologists to screen babies, they are not trained to do a, a good laser. And sometimes there are NICUs that they have a laser and they do a laser that is inadequate or is incomplete. And it's even worse because now you have the inflammation of the laser plus the, 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 the disease per se. So uh, anti-angiogenic is easier to deliver you don't have to put the baby under anesthesia. Sometimes the, the problem is the anesthesiologist or they don't have an, an OR or something. Um, you don't have to put the baby under anesthesia. The learning curve is smaller. It's, it's easier to do an injection than, than to put a laser. But yes, there is a, the, 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 the bad, bad part. One is that sometimes they do an injection in babies that already have the retinal detached and it worsened the retinal detachment because the, the screening was not, good and they do antiangiogenic to every baby. The, the other is that the follow-up is complicated because of the reactivation. The reactivation within, in Latin America, the numbers are smaller than in, in developed countries the, because the babies are bigger and heavier. I can't compare a baby that I inject that was born at 34 weeks with a baby that you inject that was born at 24 weeks. They are bigger and older, and that's why the reactivation rate is, is smaller. But even thought we have to, to follow them through life. And now that we have all these cameras, the, the, the wide fundus cameras, we are, we are finding so many abnormalities in adults that were premature babies. And now we know it's a lifetime disease. If treated or not treated, we have to follow them for a lifetime. 
Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. So, okay, in, in Europe, we have a lot of registry data already on treatment patterns in ROP. And we do see a switch from laser treatment to anti-VEGF therapy. And I think many of the aspects that Maria just mentioned are, are true, not only for Latin America, but for everywhere. It's a, an, easy, an easy to deliver treatment. It requires very short anesthesia, but the follow-up period can be quite challenging especially when you treat the really very premature ones. Because in, in these infants, as Maria just alluded to, the risk of um, a reactivation weeks or months after the injection is, is significant. It's somewhere around 20% probably. So on, on the good side, 80% of these infants do very well with one injection. But you have to find the 20% that do reactivate. What, what do we have to do? to be 100% perfect in picking them up when they reactivate? Yeah, that's a very good uh, point and a good question also. How to, in the end, um, yeah, one is the, to identify them, but also to keep contact with the parents um, who afterwards discharged from the, or the babies discharged from the hospital and how to keep them informed. And this is why we have developed also with uh, you, Professor Stahl, um, an information fact sheet for uh, parents and also for healthcare professionals to to, um, to inform parents why it is important um, to take care of a child who had ROP and how, why it is so important to have to take care of the follow-up appointments because it's everywhere in the world. You not live next to the university hospital or next to the follow-up hospital. So you have a long distance. And when you come home with a baby born preterm, you have a lot of appointments. The baby is not sleeping. The baby is not eating. So you have stress and you were a long time in the hospital and then you you have to go to all these appointments, you have maybe therapy at home, so you're very stressed. And so to, um, to explain to the parents how important it is to come regularly to the follow-up appointments and to not miss any of them, um, to ensure that this baby could be identified who potentially need a further treatment. And also to and inform them that it is a long-term process. As Maria said, it is my son is 24 years old and we just recognized three years ago that he needs further appointments. And now we go every three months, every six months to these appointments just to ensure that the ROP is not coming back or the development is not going worse. And this is something you, a normal ophthalmologist or a normal pediatrician is, is not recognizing it. So you need to ensure that you have a good relationship with the parents, proper information, also written information that parents understand that's important. And it's really important to keep these appointments, go there and uh, take it serious because there are so many other appointments you have when you go home with a preemie. Um, and therefore, it's important to ensure that they have fully understood it. So we've identified a second challenge. First challenge is screening protocol. Second challenge is keeping the patients close to you as an ophthalmologist. Now, let me introduce a, a final and, and third challenge, Maria. How do you choose which treatment to deliver? We have laser therapy, and now we have different anti-VEGFs. We have bevacizumab, we have ranibizumab with the rainbow trial, we have um, aflibercept with the Firefly trial, and the data was just recently 
um, presented at Uretina. So now you have the, the challenge to choose between many different options. How do you decide what to use? One is what is the, the one that is approved by, by the authorities in the country. And in countries like mine that is off-label, the best antiangiogenic is the one that you have close to you, that is near, that you have in the hospital. And, and usually it's, it's, it's ranibizumab or aflibrocet. And uh, they all have a very good outcome. And, and in the injection, we all have seen all these babies that you do the injection. And one day, two days after, the, the, the eye improved dramatically. So the, 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 the treatment with antiangiogenic is taking more and more and more a, a role in treatment that is, is displacing laser. Uh, laser is, is now for, for very ill eyes, maybe, for very ischemic eyes, like, a, like, like aggressive ROP. And uh, we don't have to discharge vitrectomy, early vitrectomy, that is another way of, of treatment. In, in babies that is, is a three, almost four, that we, we discussed this in, in, in the ICROP before, that it, when the vitreous is already involved, and maybe with an antiangiogenic, it could crunch. So, or with laser, that, 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 that the stage is, is complicated. With, it, with any of those treatments, it could crunch. So we have three ways to treat, and nowadays we should be talking more about preserving very good vision in these babies more than preserving the eye. That is what we were doing before, that we were just trying to preserve whatever vision and the eye. Now we should be talking about how, how we are going to preserve a 2040 or better vision in these babies because we have access to all these new tools. It, we just have to go do a good screening program to, to detect the, the disease in early stages. So okay, what do parents say to this? What is important for parents when it comes to treatment decision? Um, and you just mentioned you have a very personal perspective on, on this too. Um, I think for an ophthalmologist, we see this from a very particular perspective because injecting into an eye is not a big deal for us. We do it every day in adults many, many times. Um, providing laser is also not a big deal for somebody who is experienced in it, but for a parent, it's the very first time they ever get into touch with that situation on top of all the other difficult decisions they had, they already had to make up to that point, because we are as ophthalmologists coming in quite late in the process. They had all different sorts of problems in the first days, weeks, and months of their baby's life up to then. And then once they're close to discharge from the hospital and, and, they, think, and they think now we managed to survive all this, then comes the ophthalmologist and says, oh, and uh, the eye needs treatment as well. So can you just give us a perspective of what is important for the parent when it comes to deciding which treatment to give? 
Yeah, first of all, you brought up a very important point. You go to a journey where your baby is born very early. Um, then you think everything is fine. And I never forget this moment when the neonatologist came uh, in my room and said, oh, Mrs. Marta, by the way, three weeks before discharge, uh, your child has an ROP2 and we have to, uh, yeah, we have to see if we, have, we laser him. At this time, there was not another option um, possible and uh but don't worry and so i thought i i fall down i had i had even such an, an anxious um picture in my my brain i thought maybe he becomes blind and i haven't expected anything like this because nobody said to me before oh there could be because he was born very very tiny very early um that there comes something else after everything was done. And that is one important issue is that parents should get the information from the very beginning um, that there is, the uh, there is the option that they need a treatment in ROP. When what is ROP? Because parents, and especially nowadays, they Google, they find all the information. And when then comes up, so now there comes an ROP um, screening, potentially a treatment, and then to make a decision what kind of treatment you would prefer? Is it even possible that parents are asked for having a choice? Because often in many hospitals, still the doctor or the white gods, to be honest, and there is not even an option where you can make a decision. You just get it, yeah, just someone comes and says it to you. And then you you are you are worried because you you are worried that your child potentially becomes blind, and that is one of the big issues. So what we recommend is really first of all inform the parents early that there is a, a risk of a potential ROP. Um, then second to explain what kind of options are there. I think this is a, a very important and also very clear message to us as ophthalmologists from a patient's perspective and a parent's perspective. Um, Maria, before we wrap up our discussion today, is there anything from your side which you think we haven't touched upon and that is important to mention? In, in artificial intelligence is also something that is coming in. It's, it's already working and in the future is probably one of the main uh, help to do a good screening and a good follow-up through artificial intelligence and not depend entirely in an ophthalmologist to, to do a diagnosis. So I think that is, is something that we should consider as an option in, in the, the health programs to, to build a, a good artificial intelligence network to do a, a, an early diagnosis and a good follow-up without depending entirely but in an ophthalmologist, because we are not enough ophthalmologists is trained for ROP in the world. And there are, the, the babies are, are keep, keep on, in, 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 keep on coming, no? The, 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 the small babies are, are in raising numbers. And that's why we should take, take advantage of technology. And, and that leaves us, I think, at the end of today's session with a positive outlook. We talked about challenges in ROP screening and standardizing screening protocols. We talked about challenges in keeping close contact with parents, um, not losing them after therapy. We talked about challenges when it comes to explaining parents um, why treatment might be necessary 
and when treatment is necessary. Um, but overall, if we take two or three steps back and look at what has happened over the last years in ROP screening and treatment, it has been, it has been a tremendous change and improvement. We now do have screening protocols. We know what to look for, and we do have treatment options. And if the challenge is only to choose which treatment might be best, already is it, it's a sort of a luxury problem. You do have several treatments that work and you can choose from. And of course, you have then adhere to several follow-up procedures depending on which treatment you choose. But in the end, this, this is much better than ROP care was a decade ago. Um, and what you just brought up as your last statement, Maria, looking into the future, I think there's still much room for improvement. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what will be possible in ROP treatment, maybe prevention, and also um, care overall, not only from an ophthalmological point of view, but also from a neonatal point of view. So thank you both for today's discussion. Um, I'm hoping we get um, a chance to do this again, maybe in a year or two, and then see what happened um, in, in that time, because especially in ROP, things are at the moment changing rapidly, and I'm, I'm sure there will be new developments to discuss. Go back in your new Retina radio feed to hear our episodes on RVO and DME. For now, I'm Professor Stahl. Thanks for listening. <laughs>